When I arrived this morning, there was an article left in the pew where I normally sit on Sundays during this preaching gig. And the headline on the article reads, Can a chatbot preach a good sermon? It is an article that appeared in the Denver Post this morning, and I, I, my reaction is, I retired just in time. <laughs> the headline asks a question, and the sermon series begins today of four questions of life. The ancient philosopher Socrates said that the unexamined life is not worth living. Well, how does one examine life? By asking questions of it. Hard, difficult questions. Often, these questions do not have simple nor comfortable answers. They're questions that seemingly have many answers and have none. These are the questions of meaning, questions of purpose, the questions with which the soul struggles. But the struggle of the soul is also one that creates wonder and awe, and it is the foundation of religious experience. The philosopher Britt Marie Schiller wrote, by keeping a sense of wonder alive, we are all engaged in thinking about how we might live and what makes life worth living. Today, as I mentioned, this is the first of four sermons on the life questions, why, what, where, and how. These are, I believe, foundational questions regarding human knowledge of the world around us. But they're also existential questions about life itself and the puzzling events that occur. They are questions about the meaning and the purpose of life. There's an African proverb. The one who asks questions doesn't lose his way. The one who asks questions does not lose his way. We are people of the way. We are people who wrestle with being disciples of Jesus Christ in 2023. And we have questions. And the first big one is, why? Why? The first text that I'm going to read to you this morning is from the book of Ecclesiastes. It is categorized as Hebrew wisdom literature. I think Ecclesiastes is a difficult read. You know, not because it has long, hard words, concepts, and ideas, no. It's hard because it confronts us with some troubling truths. Truths that we would rather not acknowledge. And so we need to pray. Join me. Gracious and loving God, as we read the ancient words of Scripture, we pray for the presence of your Holy Spirit to inspire these words. Trouble us a bit so that we may move forward and understanding the world around us, but most importantly, you, the Creator. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Listen to Scripture now as I read it to you from the ninth chapter 
of the book of Ecclesiastes. Go, eat your bread with enjoyment, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has long ago approved of what you do. Let your garments always be white. Do not let oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that are given to you under the sun, because that's your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Again, I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to the skillful, but time and chance happen to them all. For no one can anticipate the time of disaster, like fish caught in a cruel net, and like birds caught in a snare, so mortals are snared at a time of calamity when it suddenly falls upon them. The second reading is the conclusion of one of the most popular chapters in the New Testament. It is from the 13th chapter of of 1 Corinthians, the end of the great love chapter. Paul writes, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will come to an end. And as for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide these three. The greatest of these is love. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's message is about one of those spiritual wrestling matches that all of us have with temptation, struggle, and existence. It is about the question why. And I think it's a good and proper question, one that haunts humanity. It's a question which, when we read the Psalms, occurs again and again. You will recall that Christ, dying upon the cross, quoted Psalm 22 when he shouted to the heavens, Why have you forsaken me? Why? Truly a vexing and troublesome question. Do you remember the 1984 Olympics? In the women's 3,000-meter race, the American, Mary Decker, was the favorite. 
She had trained and practiced for this event for over a decade, including four years at that other university in Colorado. <laughs> this was going to be the final achievement in a storied athletic career. She was the favorite and was the fastest runner in the race. And yet in the midst of that race, she was tripped by a young barefoot South African runner, Zola Budd. I will never forget the look on Decker's face. In its most anguished form, she asked the question, why? Why? Ecclesiastes is wisdom literature, and all the books in the Bible, and of all the books in the Bible, it asks that question, why? It asks it in a most profound form. Its author was a man who had seen a great deal of life, and now he was reflecting and pondering on, mystery, on life's mysteries. His introspection, I believe, is the essence of wisdom. And what did he see? What did he understand? He wrote that the fastest person does not always win the race. And we saw that borne out in that storied event. The smartest person is not always the richest. My father was a professor, I know that. <laughs> the biggest army does not always win the war. And then comes the clincher, time and chance happen to us all. I personally am troubled by this text. I've wrestled with it since my seminary days. I am troubled by the idea that time and chance happen and is one of the governing principles of creation. And here the Bible says it happens to us all. Why is that so troubling? Because there is truth there. Truth that I wish to deny. I truly want to believe that the fastest wins the race. I want to believe that the most intelligent will be recognized and will be properly rewarded. I want to believe that there is some kind of essential fairness in life and what this text tells me is no. No. I don't like to hear this message. And yet I fear it's true. I fear it's true. And that is the why of life. This is the question with which the soul struggles. I think each of us grapples with this question in so many different ways. We ask the question, why was I born? Why am I here? Why did I get sick? Why did I lose? Why did my loved one die? Why did I get passed over for promotion? We fight, we wrestle, we argue with this question because it's an essential question of meaning and purpose. Why? We want an answer. We try and come up and struggle with things like, and we say, well, it wasn't meant to be. You've heard that one? It wasn't meant to be. That really works for something that happens to someone else, not me. 
right? The question why has produced more bad cliches than we can count, especially in religious circles. And we've heard them. We've even said them. I'll confess, I've said them. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Everything happens for a reason. When God closes a door, he opens a window. Or God won't give you more than you can handle. The last one is particularly problematic. Early in my ministry, I was with a couple, Bill and Cindy. Their son, Johnny, developed cancer at the age of four. And that produces the why question in its most intense form. Nine months later, he died. They let me walk with them through the ups and downs of their travail. And they shared openly with me. It was truly a gift to me as a young pastor. When Johnny died, I was there. I was there when the doctor, who just a week before delivered my own child, pronounced him dead. They shared with me how, about how difficult it was to hear the cliches that people offered trying to answer their question why. And the most troubling was God won't give you more than you can handle. I can remember Cindy looking at me in the eyes and saying, does that mean that if we were not so strong, Johnny wouldn't have died? Why? Why? I'm not sure we will ever discover a satisfying answer in our lifetime. And yet, I still believe that we should struggle with that question. How can we approach the why questions with integrity? Let me suggest three things. First, I think it's important, vitally important, to the development of our personality and our spiritual growth that we struggle with this question. It's important that we do not accept easy, simplistic answers and cliches. And yet I doubt that we will ever get clear answers. But I do believe that in that struggle we gain wisdom. And somehow within that struggle, we also move closer to the reality of God. Indeed, the mystery that surrounds the divine. Consider the lives of the great women and men of history, and you will see individuals who faced the abyss of this question, and they faced it with moral courage. The wisdom literature of the Old Testament blesses this struggle. The book of Job, which is part of wisdom literature. Job, a good man, wrestles with the demons of reality, pondering the question, why? Why have I lost my family, my farm, my health, and so many other things? Why? And then he asks the ultimate question, why do I have such idiots for friends? Ecclesiastes shares the candid reflections of one who openly struggled with why. I believe that this struggle is heroic and we should not give in to it. 
Like Jacob wrestling with the angel, we need to hold on to that struggle. And though we are wounded by it, I also believe that it will bless us. Second, we can live with great gaps in our understanding. If it wasn't true, I would not have made it so far. Though we struggle with the question why, though we may never get a complete and satisfying answer, we can still live and we can still exist joyfully. Joyfully. Most people treasure Paul's great chapter on love in Corinthians 13. But the conclusion of that chapter, I believe, is a fascinating description of the existential reality that confronts all of humanity. Paul concluded by saying, Now we see in a mirror dimly. Someday, someday, we will see face to face. Now we know in part, someday we will know fully. He was stating that though we may never know in our earthly lifetime the answer to that question why, there is indeed an answer. And someday, someday we live with the hope that we will understand. We are limited human beings. And our biggest limitation is our own ego and our own sense of self-importance. We're unable to see the big picture. We're unable to comprehend fully what is going on. We might never understand fully. And we cannot expect the why question of life to be answered satisfactorily. But we live with hope, knowing that the promise that someday it will be known to us. And we will at last see face to face. How do we live till then, though? <laughs> That's the rub. How do we exist with this most uncomfortable reality? Paul tells us, we love. We love. The prescription to love is the ethic that enables us to live with all the loose ends of life, and there are so many. We do not understand why everything happens, even though we sometimes think we do. We don't understand one another's motivations, but we will always assign some motivation to them. About 50% wrong. We don't understand the shortcomings of others, much less our own shortcomings. We don't understand ourselves. So we need to practice love. We need to practice forgiveness. And I'm sure there is someone whom you need to forgive today. Do it. We need to bear one another up. We need to learn patience in our relationships. Remember, love endures all things. Indeed, it enables us to endure the reality of not completely knowing why. Third, I believe we need to appreciate the wisdom that comes from Ecclesiastes. Go eat your bread with enjoyment, drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has long ago approved what you do. 
Karen, that gives us permission at brunch today. I think there's an earthly realism to this advice. I know it sounds like eat, drink, and be merry, which is offensive to our Puritan heritage, but it is an affirmation of the goodness of life and that life is a gift that we are called to fully enjoy. The life that God has given us is good. Live it fully despite life's essential unfairness. Live to the glory of God. Smile, laugh, and live with a merry heart. When I ponder the life of Jesus, I see the joy that he took in life. I suspect that the reason he got some people so blame upset was because he knew the essential goodness of life and he lived that way. In Matthew 11, he addressed some long-faced Pharisees. They could have been Presbyterians. <laughs> he addressed them about the abundance of life. And he quoted a little children's rhyme or song, I played the flute for you and you did not dance. We wailed and you did not mourn. And then he added this commentary. He said, John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man, Jesus, came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And then he concluded, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. That is the Jesus we know and love. That is the Jesus we need to follow. The Jesus who richly enjoys life in God's creation and revels in it and is ministered by it. This is the Jesus, the Christ we need to proclaim to the world. A world that hears mostly judgment. The tough questions in life are the ones we can't answer. And they usually begin with the word why. As you try to understand the meaning of your life, I encourage you to continue to struggle with this question because I believe there's a blessing in that struggle. As you deal with all the things you don't know and understand, those moments of frustration and anger, practice love. Practice love. It enables us all live with the incomplete knowledge that we possess. Finally, in the midst of life's struggles, do not lose sight of that which is so important and so essential. Focus your life on the things that ultimately matter. Paul wrote to the Philippians, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, pure, excellent. Think about these things. Ponder these things. Think about them. And then ask yourself why. Why do they occur? And you will understand the graciousness and love of the divine. And finally, in the words of Ecclesiastes, Enjoy the life that God has given you. This is the good news. Amen.